The Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is One on One with Mitch LaFond, the podcast where the rockers talk, part of the Talking Metal Digital Podcasting Network. Now, here's your host, Mitch LaFond. Welcome to One on One with Mitch LaFond. Joining me on this episode, it is legendary cream drummer Ginger Baker's son, Kofi Baker. We talk about his time working with Uli John Roth, Steve Marriott, and a lot more. Before checking that out, please check me out on Twitter at Mitch LaFon and head over to TalkingMetal.com for all my interviews. And with that, here is the one, the only, Kofi Baker. We are speaking with drummer Kofi Baker, son, of course, of Ginger Baker of Cream. A pleasure to speak with you. Yes, thank you. And I had nothing to do with it. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's talk about all that wonderful stuff. But let, let's start right from the beginning. You, you've got some uh, tour dates down the road with the uh, Kofi Baker Cream Experience. How did that all come about, just first of all, setting up the Cream Experience? Well, um, I was actually on the drum stall at the Farewell Concert of Cream in 1969. Oh, 1968, sorry, uh, because I was born six months after the last, I mean, nine months after, sorry, nine months after the last uh, concert they did. So um, I worked out that I was actually there. So I figured at some point I'm going to have to play the music um, of my dad uh, as I was there at the farewell concert. Um, so um, I went to the reunion in 2005 and... Um, Saw them playing and, you know, never really got into Cream that much. Like the jamming side of it, because I was always brought, brought up in jazz and that kind of stuff, the imp- improvisation. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just saw them playing. I thought, there's a lot of improvisation here. There's a lot of, you know, space for doing your own thing. So uh, I started playing it and um, I really enjoy it because, you know, like I said, you can really do your own thing in it. You know, you can actually, it's like, like playing original music because people ask me, do you play originals? And I'm like, well, we just did a 10-minute original jam that no one's ever done before. So um, right. that's what I liked about it. I like the fact that, you know, you can play the song that people know, but then you can do your own thing. You know, you can you improvise. So, you know, and that's the great thing about jazz. You know, you can do jazz covers, but every, every time you do a jazz cover, it's different. It's not like covering a pop song where it's, you know, it's, it's the pop song and you're done. Talk to me about that in terms of the experience. So how sort of true to what Cream does? Because, I mean, obviously when you're off jamming, it it becomes sort of this original piece. But fans coming, are they expecting that? Or do they really want to hear, hey, I want to hear that song like I remember it on the album from 1960, whatever. Uh, What what is sort of... um, Well, see, the thing is, Cream Live was very different than Cream in the studio. Um, Cream never played the same twice live. I mean, if you listen to the live stuff, it's nothing like the albums. It's absolutely nothing like it. It's different speeds, different, uh, different, even different arrangements. Um, so I, I do the live thing. We, we play Cream the way Cream would play live and the way Cream would play live now. Um, so it's because Cream was different in 2005 in the reunion than it was in... 68 when they were you know doing all their gigs and my dad was like he never played the same twice and the music evolved that was the thing about cream it was it was the first jam band so um you know we play the songs the you know the actual songs exactly like you know like they were done but when we go into the jams the jam parts are pretty much our own i mean we hit on the key 
key stuff. We jam, we start the jams the same way Cream started jams, but then we go off and do whatever we want to do, um, like, like Cream did. Cream played gigs where they only played three songs, and they played like two hours because they just went off into these tangents. So that's kind of what we do. We do Cream the way it was it was being done back in those those days. And you know, jam the jam band thing is really big nowadays. So. Yeah. Um, so you know that's kind of like we're you know we're doing the original jam band stuff how the jam bands all started from there. Um, so that's you know that's how we do it. We do it you know it's different every night. It's completely different every night. Um, you know I mean the songs are the same. The actual songs well they change a little bit as well because you know I don't play the same same way twice as well as my dad because he made sure I didn't. You know it's the jazz way of doing stuff. So, um, you know, that's... that's uh, and I think that's what sorry. makes it exciting because, you know, I I've go to a hundred shows a year and, and I see a lot of bands these days playing to backing tapes and they're playing the same set list for the last 15 years and it becomes very, right. very frustrating. So it's nice to have a band like yours that's actually playing and, and, and providing something. Um, let me ask you some questions here quickly uh, about you vis-a-vis uh, -vis your dad. When you have, when you're the son of sort of one of these famous rock stars, whether you're Julian Lennon or you, or or uh, Jason Bonham, how does that affect you both positively and negatively? On one hand, it must open doors. People are like, ah, it's you know, he's a baker. And on the other hand, they might say, oh, well, you know, he's. How have you found that experience? Well, my dad wasn't the most liked person in the music business. Right. Um, so it's closed more doors than, than opened them. I mean, the only doors that have opened for me have been doors because I've been playing drums my whole life in clubs. And like Steve Marriott, Humble Pie. I joined his band because his manager saw me playing in a little bar. Didn't even know who I was. Just saw me playing in a little bar in London and said, I really like that drummer. You know, Steve's looking for a drummer, you know, came up to me and said, would you do it? And I said, I don't know who Steve Marriott is, but yeah, sure, you know, if it's a good gig. And I met Steve and we got on well and off, you know, I went on the road with him. So that was a door that opened just for me um, playing, just playing around. Uh, Eric Burden from The Animals, he wanted, he was looking for a drummer. He was actually going to place his whole band and I was put up for the gig. And without even asking or anything, he said, oh, yeah, if he's anything like his dad, I want nothing to do with him. Um, so it's closed, you know, it's actually closed more doors than I think it's opened, to be honest with you. Um, and especially I wasn't, I never did the cream stuff until 2005. I was always playing jazz. So it didn't really, um, it didn't really affect me because I was playing, I never really used my dad's name. I was always just playing, you know, either original music or jazz or, or stuff like that. It wasn't until I've been playing the cream stuff that it's actually started to, um, affect me in a way of like oh you're ginger baker's son and you know some people say well why don't you do your own stuff and i go well i do <laughs> most of the jamming is um and i do do my own stuff and i have done my own albums but um i like playing the cream stuff it's it's really fun it's it's uh you know so i mean it's it's a double-edged sword it's probably like you said it's probably opened a few doors because people say oh ginger baker's son but it's, you know, it's close as many. And people kind of judge you. They think you're, you're rich. They think you've been brought up like, you know, and I haven't. If you watch the documentary, you can see that my dad's blown all his money and I grew up in a very poor time. Um, you know, I've been basically living hand to mouth, you know, gig to gig 
my whole life. But which, so, you know, that's, you know, sorry. Well, which is, which is remarkable to think. Let, let me just pick up on one thing you said. When, when Steve Marriott approached you or, or his management and says, hey, we like what we're seeing here, come drum for us, and you don't have an idea who he is. You're, you're sort of oblivious to who this guy is. As you play with him and tour with him, um, talk to me a little bit about the appreciation. Because, you know, you, you look at Paul Stanley of Kiss and um, Ozzy Osbourne of, well, of Black Sabbath. They've all said that he's one of the greatest singers ever. And, and of course, um, uh, Kevin Dubrow of Quiet Riot as well. What did you learn from Steve? And after, of course, you've toured with him, did you sort of go, oh, okay, I get who this guy is now. Right. Well, no, because I never, I was so young at the time. I never really knew Humble Pie. I just knew he was a great musician and he was kind of, he took me on like, he was like my dad for a while. I mean, he really took me in because I wasn't, I was pretty much just got back from being homeless at the time. I was, you know, um, very young. So he kind of took me in and, and he was just, he was just a great guy. He was, I mean, you know, I was really shocked when he died. I was really upset. Um, cause he died the day before, our, we were meant to go on the road Saturday and he died Friday night. Right. So he died before my second going out on a European tour of him. I toured with him Europe and I toured with him around England and I played with him for like a, just over a year. And then I left his band to become, uh, to do original stuff and then it didn't kind of work out. So I rejoined his band. Uh, but Steve was just like such a great guy. I mean, he was, he was pretty out there. I mean, in Germany, he would get a, he got a cork from a wine bottle, lit it, so it was all, you know, charcoal and gave everybody a Hitler moustache and and made us all walk around and go, Zeke Heil, Zeke Heil in Germany, which wasn't, you know... Um, a very wise too, thing uh, to do, more. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, everybody kind of took it the right way, which was good, because um, he's Steve Marriott. I mean, I got a picture of Steve hanging out of a window in Germany with his finger across his, you know, uh, the Hitler moustache and his other hand doing the Heil Hitler thing. Um so that was that was Steve. I mean, he was he was just a bit out there, but he was um, he was one of the coolest guys. I mean, he was um, he was great. I mean, I didn't know who he was the whole time I was really working with him. It wasn't until later on that I realized, you know, what a big impact he was. I mean, I just liked playing with his music and, and just liked him. You know, um, I mean, I've done that with a lot of people. Worked with a lot of people. I had no idea who they were. Um, Uli John Roth. I had no really idea who Uli John Roth was until I started working with. Well, and it's um, it's it's great that you mentioned that because in fact, just yesterday, Uli and I were exchanging emails. I I love Uli. I think he's absolutely um, one of the best guitarists ever. Um, I was going to ask you about that. So let, let's tell me about touring with him, and what you know. What do you take away, and what do you learn from a guy like Uli? Well, Uli. I first played with Uli. Um, doing the cream stuff and he came in with me when we did this thing called the extreme cream where i was playing with um a lot of guitar players from frank frank zappa um mike keneally who played with me from frank zappa um bunch of uh, like really good guitar players and uli came in and played with me and it was really good so then uli was doing a tour of america and he couldn't really afford to get visas for his drummer and everything so he asked me to do it, and I was kind of put up for the gig, and I was like, okay, you know, I'll learn the Scorpion stuff, I'll learn it. And didn't realize that it was, it's kind of a, it's a whole different thing than the Cream stuff. It's very, for a drummer, it's very simple, very, very simple. And um, I'm not used to playing quite that simple. I mean, Steve Marriott would always, always say, play simple, keep it simple, Baker. And I, I did as best I could, but he gave me a lot of freedom. He gave me a, 
whole drum solo in the set and and um see Uli didn't Uli was like kind of I need you to play German drumming you have to be a German drummer uh dot, 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 very staccato you know very um precise no fluffiness and I'm a jazz player so um it didn't really work out I mean it worked out when we were doing the cream stuff but when I did his band it didn't really work out I was too much like Uli said I'm too much of a player um you know, and, and I was kind of getting, got really frustrated with it, and it, it kind of tells. So, I only did one tour with his band, and that was, um, that was it. He got um, a different drummer to do his last tour. You know, a more bish bash kind of drummer, because uh, that's what he needs. So, it really, it was. I mean, he's a great guy again. Really nice guy. He's actually got a little bit of sense of humor for a German, which is, uh, which is cool. Uh, but again, playing his, playing that kind of music, because it's all about the guitar. I mean, he needed me to just be back there and play this part so he could do his thing. And I'm not, I'm not like that. When I'm playing music, I'm, you know, I'm a part of it. I want to be, I want to be in with the improvisation and, and doing that kind of stuff. So that was the thing with Uli. It didn't kind of, um, didn't kind of pan out for doing, uh, his, uh, Scorpion stuff. We're just uh, good guy. Yeah, good, great guy, and, and and I love the Scorpions. Uh, you mentioned original music uh, a couple of times. Uh, there was a, a while back with Chris Polin of Megadeth, formerly of Megadeth. Okay. You were an Ohm, right? Uh, um, when, well, just just by your reaction, doesn't sound like you had a great time. But uh, no, I mean, it's <laughs> Chris was great, but it, again, it was like. It started to become, why are we playing, like, there's the, com- the songs are so complex. I mean, you had, like, one song that was three, three and a half minutes long, and it had more information in it than the entire two-and-a-half-hour set of a normal band in the one song. Um, so it was, like, it was really complex. I mean, you're playing 15, 16th notes in a bar and, and weird time signatures. and So it was really good to, in terms of challenging, but it got to the point for me, I mean, I did 10 years with that band. Um, and, uh, you know, baked potato and everything. I mean, the funny thing was, is I left, I, um, I joined the band because the original, the drummer they had for Ohm was, uh, got into drugs or something and, and I think Coke or something or speed and, um, couldn't, couldn't really pull the gig off. So I, I jumped in, uh, I did 10 years with the band on and off. I pulled out a few, few times, but then they got, uh, when I left, they got the original drummer back in again. And he lasted, I think, you know, six months, had a heart attack and died. And it was like, wow. Then they got, um, they got me back in again. So I, I did the band for a little bit. Um, and then I left the band again and said, you know, yeah, I, I can't really do it. And then they got uh, Mick Menzo or something from yeah. Megadeth. Mick Menzo. Back in. Right. And he lasted, what, six months and then had a heart attack and died. Um, so I, then they asked me to do it again. I was like, I don't know about that. Um, so, um, but, you know, I mean, it was, again, it was fun working with Chris, but he was a little bit too, um, a little bit too uh, high, high stress for me. I mean, it's very stressful, the rehearsals. It was always, you know, running over the material over and over again, trying to get it right because it was really complex. Um, so it was a lot of thinking. That's why when I got to playing the Cream stuff again, it was like, ah, oh, I could just sit back and play the drums again. I don't have to think about every bar that I'm playing. Um, and with Chris, it was very heavy, you know, again, you know, same with Uli, very heavy. I'm not really a heavy metal drummer. I mean, I can do it, but um, I, I tend to uh, last a song or two and then start to want to be more jazzy again. 
Um, so uh, it was, you know, it was okay. It was, and, and Ohm was a cross between metal and jazz. It was, you know, a fusion band, but they were still on a very heavy, heavy end of it. You know, I like I like playing quiet sometimes and and coming down and jamming. There was there was there wasn't much improvisation in in Ohm. It was very very worked out. It was very complex. So, um, I mean, I liked it at the time. I've just changed a lot as I've got older. I've got more into um, playing music for the fun of it rather than, you know, how complicated and how, um, you know, what I can do. You know, look, I can do this and I can do this. Um, so that was kind of Ohm. Ohm was very much, everybody sat down in a, in, a, in a baked potato or wherever we played and they all sat down and watched. It wasn't, no one was dancing to, to uh, Ohm music. Um, and I kind of like the I kind of like the thing with Cream is people get up and dance and they they, they you know they they get into it. I kind of like that. Yeah, that, so. that's sort of the the experience I like when you go to a show is that you sort of get into the music and you move around and you whatever you bang your head or whatever you do. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not one of those musos that can just sit there and go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it, that right, doesn't exactly. work for me. Which, which as a Canadian, it's it's weird to say, but I just can't get into Rush. I think Rush, you just sort of sit there and go. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, in terms of future plans and recording new music with, with um, well, just recording new music, do you get into the studio with the Cream Experience and record some kind of new music under that banner? Or are, are you looking for another project? Where do we go from here? Well, nowadays, everybody has a studio in their house. It's not like it used to be. Um, so you don't have to pack your drums up and go to a studio. Pretty much everything is done through email. Um, so I'm doing new music all the time. I work for, I do session work. Um, I've got my own album that's sitting there that I haven't done, finished yet because I have to get, uh, I play keyboards, so I write as well. Same as my dad. People don't know my dad played key, keyboards too and, and wrote musically as well. Um, so I write stuff, but um, I like to have the other musicians come in and, and fill it in. So I've done several of my own albums. I've got, there's an album out there called Tapestry, which has got... Um, Rick Friabracci, uh on bass and Brett Garsted on guitar. Rick Friabracci is now with um, Blood, Sweat and Tears. He did Yanni and, and all kinds of people. But uh, uh, Chick Corea's Electric Band, he played with them as well. So it's, it's kind of a fusion album. That one's already out. That's out doing stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of original stuff, Abstract Logic, with Jonas Helborg from the Malfishner Orchestra and, and Sean Lane on guitar. Uh, that was an original album that I did where I wrote some of the music in it. Um, so there's a lot of stuff of my original stuff out there. Um, I'm always doing that. I'm always playing original stuff um, and writing it. So um, not so much with the cream thing because um, people really, you know, that come to that want to see and hear cream. Um, they don't really want to hear originals, I don't think. But um, I'm thinking of putting some in. I mean, occasionally with the guy I, I play with, Chris Shutters, we write together. So. You know, we're thinking about, you know, maybe popping in. We do occasionally pop in an original song here and there, um, but not so much with the Cream stuff. It tends to be, um, you know, I play with Chris in his band as well, and then we do originals. And, and we play some Cream as well because of me. But uh, with the Cream experience, when people are coming to see that, it's pretty much Cream stuff. Not There's not much originals in it. Okay, so you wouldn't record under that banner. Um, let, let me ask you this then, because we, we've mentioned your your father a couple of times. 
How was it growing up in sort of a rock and roll uh, household? Was it, you know, all fun and stuff like people imagine? Or was it like, Jesus, he's never home and, and, and I don't have a dad here going on? What, what kind of experience did you have? Well, yeah. Um, that, my dad was never around. I mean, right. he was around at the very beginning. Um, but it was, you know, it was a weird life because I grew up in the, I grew up in the end. I grew up in a kind of tailspin of the destruction because I was born in 69. So I was born in the height of his, uh, career, you know, just after blind faith. Um, and so like one, two, three, four, five, you know, those first five years of my life was like, you know, very nice. Um, you know, I remember I had a, you know, electric car that I used to drive around in around, you know, uh, it was like, you know, all the stuff you ever wanted, you could have. And then about six, seven years old, things started to, um, completely change. By the time I was about, um, eight or nine, um, we had no hot water in the house. By the time I was like, you know, 13, 14, I was living on the streets. So, um, it was, uh, it went from one thing to completely the other. Um, I mean, growing up in that house was pretty amazing. Every wall was a different color. There was gold albums all over the walls, which I thought was normal. I thought when you went to some other people's houses, like, why don't you have these records on your walls? And why are your walls all white? You know, every wall in our house is a different color. Um, you know, so, I mean, and a lot of drugs going on, obviously. Um, but the first few years, I remember, was like, pretty, you know, big parties. I remember parties and lots of drugs and, you know, I was obviously sent to bed and I remember going to bed and then, then having big firework parties and big parties going on all, all, all night. But that ended by the time I was about six, five or six, I think. And it ended kind of abruptly. Right. Um, the, uh, let, me, let me ask you about, because you, you mentioned that by 13, 14, you're out on the street. Is that something that you hold an anger towards your father? I mean, was it mostly the money spent on drugs and a lavish lifestyle just with no foresight of, you know, how to well, say? Well, I mean, if you've watched the documentary, it kind of explains it. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's really he lost his money through one thing only, and that was polo. Uh, because, you, you know, you have to have 25 to 30 horses, and they have to be pedigree polo horses. It's a lot of money to keep up. You know, it's, polo is a sport for the rich and famous. Right. Um, but my dad, he was he was kind of stupid because he, he made all this money and then stopped making the money and just spent it and didn't have any coming in and would just spend, spend, didn't invest, wasn't, you know, the kind of guy that would invest his money, just, just was the kind of guy that was like, oh, i got a bunch of money, let me spend it. Um, so, you know, he spent all his money really quickly um, and, you know, stop paying, you know, for all the stuff, the taxes and everything. He's never really been good for paying taxes. Um, so he, he basically ran up a big bill and they, they took it, they just took the house. That was kind of, you know, the whole thing that happened with that. Um, so he lost all his money. I mean, he just, I mean, recently, the 2005, he made like $5 million and now he's broke, he's totally broke again. So, I mean, and he says, you know, I, I, Kofi, I should be on a desert island sipping Bacardi and Cokes. And I'm like, yeah, Dad, I should be sitting right next to you. You know, it's like you didn't have to screw it up for everybody. Um, but, you know, that's just my dad. I mean, he's just, he just doesn't think about the future. He thinks about, he thinks he's going to die uh, tomorrow. So let's spend everything today. Um, that's just his attitude, you know. Now he's got... Um, 
some wife that spends all his money for him. Um, you know, he's got some kind of deal with her, I think, that's uh, she looks after him and he pays for everything with her. Um, so, you know, that's just how he does it, which is, uh, again, kind of a shame because he's never really been around as a dad for me. And it's like I was saying to my girlfriend the other day, I was saying it's, it's such a shame because I'm a drummer and he's a drummer. We could have such a great, you know, relationship. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what my dad's deal is. I really don't. I just don't think he ever wanted me to be a drummer. I think maybe he's, uh, he, wants this, he wants to leave the legend of Ginger Baker, the greatest drummer out there, and leave it at that, not have, like, you know, anybody's son come in and go, oh, he's got a son that plays. So I think that that's the only thing I can think of that makes sense with uh, why he doesn't really want to play drums with me. Yeah, which is I mean, weird. At first he did. Sorry. Well, I'm just I'm I'm just listening to it from a, a fan, fan's perspective. What could be greater than you two guys going on some kind of tour where there's there's you know the son and the father and they both do the creams? I mean, there's just there's possibilities to monetize it, and it's like, well, why would you not want well, to I do mean, that, right? When I, when I was like 14 years old, right before the first time we got evicted from the house, we got thrown out, and I broke back into the house, so we squatted our own house, and then. While we were squatting our own house, I went to Italy to see my dad. And um, he was like, had no money then. So we did a concert together with me and him playing drums. And it was great. We pl- worked out this stuff together. We played together. Uh, I mean, he basically taught me a lot of the stuff I play. Um, so it was a great thing. We played together. We did this whole thing. And it was, it was really great. And we did it a few other times in Colorado. There's actually a video where we did it in Colorado. And it was really good fun. Um, and I don't know what happened. Um, he just, he just, he, he, I don't know if it's, uh, uh, I got a little bit more technical player than him. You know, I, I practice obviously more and I learned everything he taught me and then I took it to the next step. I mean, a lot of people that come see me play, you know, they say, oh, you know, you know, but you are better than your dad, you know, and I like maybe technically better than my dad, but that's not, you know, it's not about how technically you can play. It's really about how, you know, what you do with it. Um, so, and I love my dad's, my dad's playing and I'd love to play with him. And I, you know, when I play with him, I, I don't do all my over-technical Terry Bozio, Vinnie Caluta chops. I keep it down to, you know, the, the, the stuff that he likes. Um, and we had a great time, but it's, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's him or his wife right now that's stopping us playing together. I got a suspicion it's his wife. Um, that he's got right now because she's she's really she doesn't like any of the family um, she she just wants you know from what I can understand she just wants to get the money from my dad and that's it um, he says otherwise but I you know it's either it's either one or two things either my dad doesn't want to see me anymore or his wife is is making it that way and it's kind of sad because you know me and my sister my sister was over here and we're like. You know, it's so sad that my dad's like now he's got this wife and his this wife's got a kid. And all he talks about is his her and his kid, that kid, you know, how wonderful the kid is and and everything. And me and my sister was like, well, you know, we're your family, too, you know, but he doesn't seem to, uh, you know, care about us anymore. So we've kind of like, you know, I don't really talk to him anymore. My sisters don't really talk to him anymore. We don't really have a relationship with him anymore, which is a shame because he, he says he's got a new family and that's his new family. So, um, you know, that's the way it is. That's the way we've got to look at it now. So I just do the cream stuff to keep the whole really more for the keep the music going 
and I love playing it, um, you know, and keep that kind of side of my dad's, you know, legacy alive, I suppose. Which um, sort of, in a sense, must be bittersweet, because here you are keeping his legacy alive, and, and in a sense... Uh, he, he he wants to have it to himself, kind of thing. Um, but let me, let me quickly let's just talk about his health. He had the heart uh, issues. Um, yeah, I mean, he had a heart bypass or something. You see, again, I don't really know. I talked to him a little bit after the operation, and he seemed fine. Um, uh, you know, again, it's like with my dad, it's hard to get any kind of a big conversation out of him. I mean, you've probably seen the documentary and, and seen some interviews with him. He's not the most uh, talkative person to get stuff out of i mean jay really had to work hard in that documentary to get get what he got out of him which is pretty amazing um so he doesn't really talk a lot but i mean i think he's doing okay i mean i think you know he he had that heart thing i mean he seems to like just be able to bounce back from everything i mean i mean he does eat pretty well he has a good diet so um that's probably got a lot to do with it um, but, I mean, he smoked cigarettes his entire life um, and really abused himself. I'm amazed he's, he's doing as well as he is. Um, so, I mean, he played drums not long ago. He did that um, Jack Bruce memorial a month ago or something. Yeah, so he's back playing again. So um, that's good. I mean, I think he's fine. I mean, I, I think my dad's probably going to outlive everybody. You know, he'll probably be you know, 300 years old and still going. Which, 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 you know, we, we sort of hope for because you know, the, the music they've made was, was great. But, but Cream themselves, I think uh, all the members, if, if you look at, the, at them in the media historically, weren't great, great conversationalists or great talkers. There, there was sort of that mystery about the whole band. Um, well, that was the thing. It was about the music. It was like if you look at bands today, you look at what the whole music thing is today. It's all about a visual... Uh, entertainment thing it's very visual and it's very uh you know very worked out and it's very like you know clean and and cookie cutter the cream wasn't that cream was not about you know how they looked they just got on three guys got on stage you know and and just they were good musicians and that's what it was about it was about being a good musician and showing what good musicians how Good musicians can make music, and that's what I like that concept because I always play with the top guys, the top musicians I can find, um, and I always, you know, make sure that my music are good enough to improvise and and can really improvise, and that's what I really like about the whole Cream thing, and that's really what I'm trying to keep that that concept going of the good musicianship playing good music rather than what's happening today where it's it's all about you know, learn three chords and just, you know, look good, you know, bang your head, you know, wear some outrageous clothes and, and, and get a, you know, dance act going or something, you know, that's just, it just doesn't appeal to me at all. I mean, it drives me mad, actually. It's like, okay, it's great to go, you know, watch a bunch of, you know, hot women and hot guys prance about on stage, but, you know, let's have some music with it, you know, or let me just hear some good musicianship. So it's it's sort of all you know, changed when when Kiss came out there and, and made it all about the visual rather, and then everything since the '80s and then all that all the right. Well, I mean that was fine that they did that visual thing. I mean that's that's it's kind of fun. I mean, but you know, it, it just it should. <laughs> I don't know how it got so big. I don't know. I don't know why we lost the musicianship with it. I mean, Kiss weren't they weren't very good musicians. Um, 
they were adequate, but uh, they weren't like, you know, um, the cream of the crop like cream were. Um, so, I mean, I just don't know why we lost that, that um, whole musicianship thing in, in the music business, but we seem to have lost it. It seemed to have, have uh, you know, popular music today is not um, normally that great musician-wise. It all tends to be the same kind of thing, especially in the pop music. The pop music is just today is awful. I mean, listen to it back in the 60s. It was like, it was great. I mean, you had people using different time signatures, uh, different barring. It wasn't, it wasn't stuck to this 4-4, four, 4-bar four, four phrase, you know, verse, chorus, middle eight, verse, chorus thing that everybody does today. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. even the Beatles, even the Beatles, look at the stuff the Beatles were writing. It wasn't, they had some pretty poppy songs, but... You know, um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, you know, um, She's So Heavy, you know, I Want You, all that kind of stuff. It's like it's got time changes in it and it's got it's, it's you know, it's it's interesting. It's musicians, you know, some good musicianship in there or some good writing. You know, nowadays everything is just like it's four on the floor, that all the way through the song. And it's kind of it's just dumbed down to the point where the drive's mad. I'm nuts with it, but anyway. Yeah, and should, I shouldn't even get you started on on auto tuning because that. Yeah, don't I get mean, me started. <laughs> I mean, auto tuning has has destroyed it even further. Um, right. We will mention that in January you're heading off to Germany, and then you come back to the states for a couple of shows in February. I'm in Montreal, right. which is of course in Canada. Will we see you up here at any time? Um, I need to get onto that. Um, I'm just going to be signing with a new agency, so that might happen soon. Because um, I was I was there with Uli, Uli, I think, a couple of years ago. I think we, we hit um, Montreal. I mean, maybe we did. I don't remember. We got into Canada. but um, So I need to get back to Canada. I haven't been there for two years. Um, not in the winter, though. I want to do Canada in the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, come, too, come in July. Crazy. That's the best place. And uh, I do know the folks that run a place called the Brass Monkey in uh, Ottawa, and uh, we can get you in there anytime. It's it's a great venue. Uli is actually going to be Uli is playing there March 10th. So uh, you should okay. uh, you should show up and come and uh, give the uh, cream experience to the Canadian folks. But uh, this is a great pleasure, by the way. Um, yes, thank you. Yes. That was fun. Thank you for your time, and uh, and uh, we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed for the great Ohm reunion tour. Okay. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? All right. Thank you, Kofi. Great pleasure. Right, thank you. Cheers. Right, now. Bye bye. And there you have it, folks. My interview with the great Kofi Baker. Make sure to check out Kofi Baker's Cream Experience, and also while you're checking out stuff, check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, Instagram, Facebook. And, of course, TalkingMetal.com for all my interviews. And if you care to support the podcast, it is PayPal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon. And with that, I bid you a fond, fond farewell. Au revoir. Auf Wiedersehen. Sayonara. Bye for now. Oh, my.